We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and I bet you can persuade your friend Bud to connect you with a Bible that you can use for the service. We're starting a little differently this morning. You figure that out by now. I'll explain more in a moment. For one thing, I'm not Rob. Rob is back in Children's Church. As he's been sharing uh, in announcements the last few weeks, we have expanded our children's ministry. With that, we've also done um, some training. Uh, we've swapped down our curriculum. We've, we've uh, obviously invested a lot in the back hallway to make it uh, more aesthetically pleasing and less in the early industrial aesthetic. That, uh, that we were enjoying for quite a while. But along with that, we've, we've brought online additional classrooms. Um, we are committed to having nursery and toddlers and early elementary and older elementary classrooms available um, for both Sunday services and, and hopefully soon for Wednesday. Uh, so Rob is back there shepherding some of the expansion project. But all of that creates lots of opportunities to serve. So if you think the Lord might be tugging on your heart to spend some time loving and helping our little ones learn, this would be a great time and we would be happy to train uh, any mature believers that want to get involved with that. Uh, speaking of people who are younger, you'll look around and see our youth and some of our young adults are conspicuous by their absence this morning. They are wrapping up their winter camp. They will be hopefully on the road before the end of this service. Please pray for travel mercy for them. Anne and I were down there yesterday. They're having a great time, um, great teaching, um, a, a lot of just Jesus moving in hearts. Uh, this is something that we've done for several years in cooperation with Calvary, Oklahoma City, Calvary, Garland, Texas, and another church in the Oklahoma City area that's not a Calvary. Um, so prayed that they would finish well. And they'll have a quick turnaround when they get back. Friday is a youth hang night, and they will be headed to the arcade. That's middle school and high school both. And this is a good time to remind you that all youth are invited, um, whether their families are part of Calvary on an ongoing basis or not. Um, Invite the youth in your life out to hang out with some youth who love Jesus. And uh, another thing to keep in prayer on the subject of youth, uh, next Sunday they will be transitioning to a new study in the Gospel of Mark. And a week from Wednesday they're going to be starting a neat study looking at sin and God's plan for sin and God's redemption uh, of his people out of sin through the lens of the history of Israel. So sort of doing two things at once with their Wednesday night study. Good things to keep in mind for the youth that the Lord has entrusted to us. Next Saturday, let's talk about things that involve older people. Uh, Saturday men's brunch is open to youth, um, but also open to men of all ages. I wasn't sure that men did brunch, but apparently we do. <laughs> Starting at 10 a.m. next Saturday, come hungry. There's no cost, but do, if you're able, bring a wrapped white elephant gift for the gift exchange somewhere in the $10 to $15 value. And ladies, I want to remind uh, all of the ladies of the fellowship that 
Our sisters just started their new year. They're doing a study through Paul Tripp and Tim Lane's book, Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. And relationships is the theme for women's ministry this year. They're going to be looking at relationships from various angles, various types of relationships, marriages and parent-child relationships and friendships. Um, This is the entree, and it's a great time to get involved. They're a couple weeks in, but if you see Anne, who's back in the sound booth, she'd be happy to get you a book and get you onboarded with that study. There's there's two offerings of it Monday evenings and also Friday morning same study different times and finally on the subject of relationships today is the last day to sign up for the marriage conference that Ann and I are participating in Um, it's hosted and organized by Calvary Chapel Norman Oklahoma and the conference is going to be down in that area I've sent out links to to sign up through our um, Uh, through my my weekly news and notes that I send to everybody who's in Simple Church. If you haven't gotten that and you want to sign up, grab me after service or grab Pastor Rob. We can walk you through the sign-up. And if you've tried to sign up and it's been glitchy, uh, I apologize for that. It's it's not us. It's it's another Calvary that's organizing this. But what they've suggested is just sign up one person from from the couple so that you don't get charged twice. And maybe in the first name field, you can put down you know Patrick slash Ann or Patrick parentheses Ann or you know, whatever your names are. But today is the last day, and if you're having trouble signing up, grab me afterwards, and we can we can do it live just just standing here in the in the building. But turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And you're saying, Patrick, where's the worship? I mean, it's bad enough that we don't have Rob, but now you're messing everything up. Becky's sitting right over there. We're going to worship. Don't panic. But before we do, look at Ephesians 3 with me for a moment. And specifically look down at verse 14. We left off last week at verse 13, so we pick up this week, Ephesians 3, verse 14. And as we pick up, Paul is saying, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, and then he goes on to say a bunch of other stuff. But but notice what he just said, and notice what it tells us. As we pick up our study in Ephesians this morning, Paul's praying. Paul's praying, which is apparently what he was starting to do back in Ephesians 3, verse 1, when he interrupted himself. When he said, wait, 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 i got to talk about the church more. I, I, I want to pray, but before I do, he, he, he interrupts himself as if to ask his readers, do you guys get what I just said? He's been talking about the church for, for a good chapter now, and, and he's starting to pray, but then he, he says, wait, do, do you comprehend what we're talking about? This whole double reconciliation thing? People reconciled to God and people reconciled to each other through God? If you don't get that, you need to get that. That's why Paul interrupted himself, because he wants us to be amazed by it. He wants to make sure that we're in awe because where he's coming from, he starts the chapter and he's like, man, I just I think about the church and God's love for the church and it makes me want to just stop, drop, and pray. But he wants his readers to pray with him. And to pray with him, we've got to understand with him what Jesus did at the cross. So that's why Paul did what he did in verse 1. That's why he interrupted himself. 
to explain one more time the beauty and the majesty that is the church. But now he's done that. Verse 2 to 13, that was last week. He did that. And now having explained one more time everything that the church is, he's ready to pray. And we're doing what we're doing because it's on my heart to pray with him this morning. Because I think that's kind of his intention in writing this section of the letter. I think that he's hoping that his prayer, the prayer that he's writing, would be contagious. I think that he's hoping that as he prays, his readers would pray with him. Hear him and understand him and, and say amen along with him to his prayer. So that's what we're going to do this morning, and that's why we're going to take a little bit of a different format. Paul's got six or seven different sections in, in, in this short passage. For our purposes, we're going to say seven. You can outline it different ways. But for our purposes, he's got the introduction that we just read, and then he's got six prayer points, six specific requests that he makes of God. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to track along with Paul as he prays those points. We've done this, if you've been with us on Good Friday, we've done this on Good Friday a few times, studying through the seven statements of Jesus on the cross. And we're going to use that format this morning. We're going to follow along with Paul. We're going to unpack each of his points, each of his requests of God, so that we understand it. You can't really say amen to a prayer that we don't understand. We're going to make sure we understand it, and then we're going to pray it. We're going to amen it together, us, here, ourselves. And then when we've done that, Becky will give us a chance to reflect and, and worship God who hears and answers our prayers. It's a little different. It's a little bit of a challenge. We're going to have to lean in a little bit. But I think the Holy Spirit is calling us to lean in this morning. And as we do, I know he's going to meet us. We can't outgive God in anything. And as we give him a little bit more attention and a little bit more focus and a little bit more effort in our gathering this morning, he's going to meet us and he's going to bless us. So let's do this. Ephesians 3.14 For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I bow my knees, Paul says. I humble myself. In humility I draw close to God the Father. God that Jesus taught us to call Father. God that Jesus made possible for us to call Father, right? He bled and died for us, Jesus did. On the cross, he satisfied the demands of justice for us. He paid the price our sin demanded. And simultaneously opened the floodgates of God's grace for us. Jesus did that on the cross, and Paul's in awe of that. As he pens these verses, Paul's overtaken with amazement at God's goodness and kindness and mercy and graciousness. So as we begin together, let's bow our hearts. Paul bows his knees. Let's bow our hearts this morning and join him and meditate on the cross. And, 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 and go with Paul to that place of awe and reverence before the Lord this morning.
Come, let us worship and bow. 
going to be our rhythm this morning. We'll talk a little bit about what Paul is praying about, and we'll pray with Paul, and then we'll worship and reflect on it. So where are we? Having prepared his heart, and having bowed his knees, and having begun his prayer the way that Jesus taught us with adoration, with thanksgiving, now Paul comes to his first supplication, his first request of God. As he meditates on the mystery and the majesty and the the miracle of the church, he's driven to his knees. I bow my knees, he says, verse 14, and he asks, verse 16, I bow my knees that, I bow my knees to ask that he would, verse 16, grant, give, bless, love, bestow upon you the church. He's writing to the church in Ephesus and surrounding churches. I'm praying that God would give to you according to the riches of his glory, what? To be strengthened. How? With might through his spirit in the inner man. God, would you strengthen your church, Paul prays. Not physically, not financially, not materially, but spiritually. Would you build your church, Father? How much? Paul, don't miss this, Paul asked God to strengthen us according to his, God's, riches. That's a powerful phrase. That's a big request. That brings to mind the story that, that, that they told of Alexander the Great. When one of his commanders came before him and Alexander said, that was a marvelous victory. Ask for anything, and, and if it's in my power to grant, I'll grant it. And he asks Alexander for a portion of the empire. And Alexander's wingman, his sergeant-at-arms, his bodyguard, draws his sword. He's going to run this guy through for being so impudent. 
for being so audacious. And Alexander says, no, 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 hold. He honors me. Because only one as great as me, the great Alexander, could honor such a request. And that's kind of what Paul is doing here. I mean, it's, it's, it's audacious, but that's what Paul is asking. He's not asking God to strengthen us from his riches. He's not saying, God, you've got plenty of power. You've got all kinds of strength. Surely you've got some to spare for your church. No, he's not asking God to strengthen us from his riches, but according to his riches, in proportion to his riches. Do some math with me. How rich is God? How strong is God? How great is his might? Infinite, okay? So Paul is saying, God, would you bless the church in proportion to your infinite might? Would you, would you give the church a proportion of your might? Would you tithe to the church a percentage of your might? What's 10% of infinity? Infinity. That's what Paul is praying. That's how much Paul is asking that God would bless and strengthen the church. Again, not physically, not financially, but inwardly. Spiritually, because what, what good would outward blessings do? They'd be temporary at best. These outward physical bodies, they're falling apart. Day by day, we look in the mirror, we see it. And if we didn't already know that, Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians 4.16, our outward selves, our bodies are dying, we're perishing. But that's okay, because these are temporary housing anyway. We've got glorified bodies waiting for us, and Paul is asking God to strengthen the souls that inhabit these glorified bodies, because that's our real self. He's asking God to strengthen us, so while we wait for our glorified bodies, we can be pressed on every side because we are, but not crushed. Reading from the New Living Translation, perplexed but not driven to despair. Hunted down, but never abandoned by God. Knocked down, but not destroyed. He's asking God to strengthen us that through suffering, our bodies might continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be seen in our bodies. Strengthen us, Lord. Father, would you grant Paul's request for the church in Ephesus, would you grant that in our lives? Would you grant that in this church? Would you renew us and revive us inwardly? Strengthen us spiritually so that we can live lives that even in trials, but especially in trials, reflect who we are. Lives that de declare who you've made us to be through Christ. Confidence. 
He keeps His promises forever and amen. He's gentle with my heart. He knows each tear I cry. There's healing in His scars for every one of mine. My life is in His hands. He is my confidence. He keeps His promises forever and amen. My life is in His hands. He is my confidence. He keeps His promises forever and amen. I have never known a love like this before. Jesus, you are the one I'm living for. I have never known a love like this before. Jesus, you are the one I'm living for. My starts off for this reason I bow my knees to the Father that verse 16 he grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened through his spirit in the inward man that here's the next here's the next point verse 17 that Christ might dwell in your heart through faith that's his next prayer point that's his next request and it's important to realize as we come to this next one it builds on the last one Paul's, Paul's not popcorning here. His prayer requests aren't random stream of consciousness. Lord, would you bless Grandma with her hip, and, and, and I pray that we have good weather for vacation, and Lord, would you make my boss a little nicer for me, and uh, Lord, I pray for our flowers. No, these, these points are all connected. Each one builds like a stair step on the one before. Father, strengthen your church spiritually so that, verse 17, Christ might dwell in our hearts richly through faith. The first prayer enables the second prayer. The spiritual strength that Paul asks for makes it possible for us to invite Christ to make our hearts his home. That's what Paul is asking for, and that's weird. That's a little confusing. Because I thought Jesus already lived in my heart. He does. 
If I've given my life to Jesus, if I trusted in his blood on the cross for forgiveness of my sin, then yeah, he's come to live in my heart. John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, Jesus says, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. But Paul is saying more than that here because it's one thing to come and stay in a place for a little while. It's one thing to be a guest. It's another thing to truly be at home, to be family, to walk in without knocking, to go to the refrigerator and open it and see what's waiting. When Ann and I were engaged, she was living with her parents, and I would, they were in Illinois, and I would sometimes go out to visit, and I was in her parents' home. I didn't go in their bedroom. I didn't look under their bed. I didn't go rummaging around in closets or looking in boxes. I didn't go down to the basement because they told me it was really scary. <laughs> I was a guest. And, and, and so I just assumed that some things were off limits. But when we got married and Ann moved into the house that I was renting in New Jersey, there was nothing that was off limits. She could go into any room, look in any closet, open any box. She'd go into closets that I hadn't used. Like, what's, what's, what's in here? I have no idea. <laughs> let, let. And, and she'd rum, rummage around my hall closet and say, when was the last time you organized this? I don't know. How long ago is never? <laughs> <laughs> and together we started organizing and decorating and, and making it a home that the two of us could share. Something that, that looked like both of us. That's what Jesus wants when he moves in. And that's what Paul is praying for. Paul's asking in his first prayer, God, give us strength. Why? Because he knows it's going to be hard to unreservedly welcome Jesus into our hearts and throw every door open to him and say, make yourself at home. Look anywhere. Do anything. Some of you are probably remembering the little, the little booklet that we have, the Robert Munger booklet, My Heart, Christ's Home. Because it paints a picture of what Paul is talking about here, the access and the authority that Jesus wants us to give him, the, the access and the authority to redecorate so there's no offensive posters hanging on the walls, cleaning out the closet so that there's no vestiges of our old lives our sinful past hanging out there. He wants to take out the trash from our hearts. He wants to remove the sin and the shame. He wants to repurpose rooms that are just given over to, to play and silliness and childishness and make them productive for ministry. And he wants to keep going until our hearts are completely renovated and reflect the goodness and the character and the lordship of Jesus. And so we ask with Paul, Paul, this is, this is what you say. We say with you, Father, this is what you want. We know that Paul is praying in the name of Jesus because this is the character of Jesus. He bids us to come and die. He invites our surrender. We delight at our salvation. We rejoice that the cross saved us from an eternity of hell. But you ask to be more than that. You don't want to just be our Savior. You declare yourself our Lord. And our flesh resists that. But as we prayed for, for spiritual power, with that spiritual power, now we ask you, Lord, 
to teach us surrender. So Paul kneels before the Lord, verse 14, prays that the church would be strengthened spiritually, verse 16, that we'd have surrendered hearts, hearts in which Jesus is really at home, verse 17, that, next stair step, that the church should be rooted and grounded in Christ's love. 
That's the next step, the next request, the next builds on. And this one is easier to understand. To be rooted and grounded in love is to be rooted and grounded in God. Because God is love. And if we stay connected to that love, if we make that love our source and our structure, that's what it is to be rooted and grounded, if love is our source and our structure, then the fruit of our lives will be love sacrifice and love service. If love is our foundation and our frame, then love will be our way of life. It'll be the natural output, the, the outworking of that love in our lives. Because if we're letting love shape our lives, then, then love is literally what we're being built to do. This is, this is upper room discourse, right? This is abide in the vine, John 15. Abide in the vine and you will, what? Bear much fruit. But the fact that Paul is praying for that here is interesting. The, the fact that he's asking God to engineer this to make this, this rooting and grounding, this, this establishment possible, implies it's something that we need to seek after, something that we need to work for, something that we need to pursue. Wednesday night, folks, there should be a light bulb going on because we encountered this idea a few weeks ago in Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17 in our midweek study God's words to his people, Judah, through Jeremiah. Starting in verse 7, we read, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Now that gives us Psalm 1 vibes, right? But verse 8, there's something that we don't see in Psalm 1. There in verse 8, there's that verb spreads. And it's even more of an active verb than the English suggests. In the Hebrew, it has the connotation of reaching out, stretching, seeking, grasping for. The tree's not just hanging out by the water hoping good things are going to happen. It's stretching out toward the water, seeking after it, longing for it. That's what Paul is praying for here. And, and we pray with him, Lord, would you make your church thirsty for you? Would, would you make us see and, and know? Would you, would you make us recognize and realize that our thirst is for you? We don't, always, we don't always recognize that we're thirsty and we don't always understand what we're thirsty for. But it's you, Lord. <clears throat> would you show us, would you teach us that the strength that we long for is found only in you, the peace that we desire found only in you, the joy that we cry out for, is waiting in you. Lord, would you, would you show us that thirst? And as we call upon your name, Lord, would you quench that thirst with your love? Thank mm -hmm.
strengthen your church from the inside out that our hearts would belong fully to you that we'd be built up and established rooted and grounded in your love so that here's the next one verse 18 so that your church may be, be may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge <clears throat> width length depth height. Bible commentators sometimes call these the four magnitudes of God's love. And for centuries, scholars have tried to assign values to these various magnitudes, these four dimensions. And, and they come at it different ways. One, one commentator says, well, the width, that's the world. How big is God's love for God? So love the world, John 3.16. What's the length? Well, that's eternity. That's forever. 1 Corinthians 13.8, God's love never fails. What about its depth? Well, how deep the Father's love speaks of the cross. God who loved us unto death. Jesus who humbled himself and was obedient even unto death, a death on the cross, Philippians 2.8. What about height? How high is heaven? John 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would not have said that. Others, others get to it differently. Others say, well, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and these values, these magnitudes, must be found somewhere in this letter. And you can do that. What's the width of God's love? He says in Ephesians 2, 17, it's all who draw near to him. Those near and those who are afar, Jew and Gentile. What's the length? Well, he starts off in Ephesians 1.4 talking about God who loved us before the foundation of the world. And in Ephesians 2.7, God who will love us in ages to come. How deep? Well, that's always the same answer. Ephesians 1.7, speaking of the redemption that we have in his blood, the ultimate expression of his love. And the height? In Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6, we read about God raising us up together with Christ and being seated together with him in the heavenly places. And, and other people do it differently, and you can actually have a little bit of fun playing with that. Personally, I don't think anyone has done better than A.W. Tozer did, though. In his classic, The Knowledge of the Holy, Tozer says, because God is self-evident, his love had no beginning. Because he's eternal, his love can have no end. Because it's, he's infinite, it has no limit. <clears throat> Because he's holy, it's the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because he's immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea. But even as we, as we contemplate that, even as we, we meditate on it and try to wrap our heads around it, because it's huge in every direction, if we're not careful, we'll miss maybe what the most important point that Paul is making here is. He says, Father, strengthen your church from the inside out, that their hearts would fully belong to you, that they'd be built up and established in your love, that your church would be able to comprehend, look at verse 18, with all the saints. 
What does that mean? On his way to pointing at the enormity of God's love, the dimensions of God's love, Paul calls out, he, he draws our attention to the fact we will never remotely comprehend the, the magnitude or the magnificence of God's love alone. Because what is love? Love is others. And only together in community as we love and are loved, only with all of the saints that God has brought together as family, will we begin to grasp just how tremendously we are loved. And how deeply we're called to love in return. Only as we share insights and perspectives that, that we variously glean from God's word. Only as we share testimonies of God's faithfulness and his responsiveness to prayer. Only as we experience unity as we worship and fellowship and minister together do we begin to know, verse 19, this love that passes knowledge. What's Paul saying? He's saying it's not just intellectual, it's experiential. We have to see love and hear love and feel love and taste love. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good as he loves us, but part of how God loves us is the love he gives us for one another. God's love is beyond imagination, beyond comprehension, but we can still know it. And we learn it, Paul tells us, by living it. We learn God's love by living God's love. Living, seeing, watching, hearing experiencing, participating in it together. Lord, would you knit us together with that love? Draw us together as a community. You've called us together, Lord. Would you teach us the value of openness? Would your spirit inspire transparency and boldness? Radical acceptance. Willingness to trust. And as we do, Lord, as we grow in that love, would, would you grow us in the grace and knowledge of you? As we surrender to that love, Lord, would you teach us you? Oh, your love 
strong Close enough to hold me near When fear is crippling Safe enough to be my home When my world is crumbling And I have come to know a love Stronger than the grave That in my darkest hour Raise me up From death to life now In resurrection power Oh, your love is strong Oh, your love is strong strong oh your love is 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 strong all my enemies it broke the cage that silenced me and set this songbird free I'll sing for all the love you've given me rejoice because you've chosen me strengthen your church from the inside out that our hearts would belong fully to you that we'd be built up and established rooted and grounded in your love that together as your family we would experience and comprehend the magnitude of your love and that here's the next one verse 19 so that we might be filled with all the fullness of God that's another odd sounding request isn't it I mean, it almost sounds like, like a riddle, like a paradox. How can we be filled with the fullness? And it's even weirder, it's even, if it's, it's even more confusing when we consider who's getting filled. How can these sinful bodies dwelling in this hostile world, subject to attacks of an enemy who hates us and wants us dead, be filled with the fullness of God? Another one of Paul's epistles his letter to the Colossians <clears throat> actually helps us out here. Let Scripture interpret Scripture, right? 
Colossians 1.19 tells us that in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That makes sense. But go to the next chapter, Colossians 2, 9, and 10, in, in the ESV translation, just for clarity, for in Jesus the whole fullness of deity, the fullness of God dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. So that helps, right? Kind of a transitivity thing. Jesus dwells in us. Sorry, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. Jesus dwells in us, therefore the fullness of God dwells in us. It's there, it's available to us right now. Paul, uh, Peter says the same thing that Paul does. All things pertaining to life and godliness are in us. We have them now, available, accessible to us right now here this morning. The only thing limiting the expression of that fullness, the only thing hindering the power and love that's come to live in us, in Christ, is us. And suddenly Paul's whole prayer comes together, doesn't it? It clicks, it, it, it snaps into place. When I think about God's love, Paul says, this is how he starts. When I think about how God's love birthed the church, then that's everything he was doing in chapter 2 and the first half of chapter 3. When I think about God's love that gave birth to the church, it makes me want to pray that the church that was created by God's love would be strengthened by his love, to surrender to his love, to, to make it, it, its collective heart a home for that love so that we would be rooted and grounded in that love, together beholding that love and being more and more filled by that love as we make more and more room in our heart for that love. Because as we make more and more room in our heart for that love and are filled with more and more of that love, we will overflow that love. We will pour out that love. Some of our worship leaders have, have, have been leading us in, in a song and the chorus goes, I will make room for you. If you've been here more than twice, you've sung it. <laughs> I will make room for you. What's the next line? To do whatever you want to. What does God want to do? He wants to love. That's what Paul's teaching us this morning. He's teaching us love. It's been said that a pastor has two jobs. To teach people who they are in Christ and to urge people to live for Christ. And in this letter, Pastor Paul is actually doing both of those, which makes sense. Because the more we grasp who we are in Christ, the more that we're, we're going to embrace that identity is the more that we're going to watch ourselves live and love like Christ. And the more it's going to hit us, we together, we the church, the more that we are given over to loving like Christ, we're going to realize that's what we're, we're here to do. That, that's who God is making us to be. Father, the, you are the love that came for us. And you're the love that lives in us. And you're the love that's changing us. We pray that you'd be the love that's pouring out of us. Fill us with your fullness. Fill us that we might be being filled, you say later in this letter. And as the love pours in and then pours forth, Lord, we pray that that love would point people to love, point people to the source of love, 
Lord, as we love people in your name, we pray that that love would point them to you. of eternal promise stirring in your sons and daughters earth revealing heaven's wonders spirit come spirit come what you spoke is now unfolding all your children shall behold it dreams awaken in this moment spirit come spirit come pour it out let your love run over your glory fill this house pour it out let your love run over here and now let your glory fill this house now the world awaits your presence within us we will rise to be your witness spirit come spirit come pour it out let your love run over here and now let your glory fill this house Pour it out, let your love run over. Here and now, let your glory fill this house. Tongues of fire, testifying of the sun. One desire, spirit come, spirit come. Speak revival, prophesy like it is done. One desire, Spirit come, Spirit come. Tongues of fire, testifying of the sun. One desire, Spirit come, Spirit come. Speak revival. Prophesy like it is done, one desire. Spirit come, Spirit come. Spirit come. Let our hearts continue burning. For our King 
you soon returning as we hold to this assurance spirit come spirit come pour it out so pour it out let your love run over here and now let your glory fill this house pour it out let your love run over here and now let your glory fill this house and i love the double meaning there the the house that we are the house that is our hearts individually and the, the house that we are collectively, the family that God is making us to be. So with that, Paul is done with his stair step. From strength to surrender, from surrender to being rooted and grounded, from being rooted and grounded to comprehending together, from comprehending together to being filled and overfilled, poured out. He's done with the stair step, but he's not done with his prayer. Because having said all of that, having prayed all of that, having asked all that, Paul closes with two verses that are just pure praise. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In praying everything that he's been praying, it's like Paul's mind is blown all over again. He's, he's, he's praying this, and, and, he, and he steps out of himself, and he looks at himself and says, what are you doing? What am I asking? This is crazy. But then he realizes all over again who he's asking. And he comes back to realizing, no, this isn't crazy at all. Because Paul realizes, he remembers, he's talking to God. God who is able. God who is able to do. God is, who is able to do what we ask. God who is able to do what we think. God who is able to do what we ask or think. God who is able to do all that we ask or think. God who is able to do above all that we ask or think. God who is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's the power that dwells in us. That's the person that dwells in us. Convicting us of sin. Drawing forth praise. Refining our prayer. Sanctifying our heart. Directing our ministry. Shaping our lives. Yielding glorious fruit. And Paul's prayer ultimately, we've taken it apart, let's put it back together. His prayer ultimately is that we would let him do all of those things and be all of those things to the glory of his name. Psalm 148 reminds us that's why we're here for the glory of God. That's why everything's here. That's everything. That's why God created creation. 
to glorify him. And every part of creation does that. The psalmist says the heavenly host, the angels, glorify God. The celestial bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars, the comets, the rest of it, glorify God. The, 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 the earth and everything that's upon it, the fish of the sea that swim under it, the weather, the wind, the sun, the rain, the hail, the elements, the fire, the wind, the, the water, the earth, plants and trees, the animal kingdom, the smallest bug, the greatest nation, he says. Every nation, every people, every tongue, every king who ever ruled glorifies God. That's where we get the doxology. In, in a sense, these last two verses are a doxology. They're a hymn of praise. But a lot of us grew up in church singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings fall. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's, that's right out of Psalm 148. But what Paul just told us eclipses the psalmist. What Paul just told us is greater than all the praises that the psalmist lists, greater than all the glory that God gets from Everything on that list is the glory he receives from us. The greatest glory given to God is the glory he receives from the church. As we allow him to strengthen us and make his home within us and take hold of our hearts and establish us in his love, as we allow him to reveal that love in and through community and fill us with his fullness that we might be poured out, we praise him. The outworking of Paul's prayer is glory to God because when we abide in him and allow him to be and do everything that Paul is talking about, we say to creation and whatever lies beyond creation, this is what God has done. We are what God has done. This is the, the greatness and the goodness of God purchased at the cross. This is the grace and the love and the kindness of Jesus. And we'll keep saying that with our voices and with our lives forever. For as long as we live into the, into the next life, forever and ever. This is God's love. Worship him. God, you are able. You're so much more than able. And you're so much more than willing. And so we call upon your name. Father, would you have your way with your church? Would you have your way with this church? Would you have your way with us, with us, each one of us individually, all of us together collectively, now here and wherever you lead us and forever in your presence? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.